0: Hello and welcome to Overdrive, a program about cars and culture. I'm David Brown and in this program we look at news stories including the technology features consumers like and those that they are having trouble with. And we report on an English test for taxi drivers that is being implemented in London. We road test the Hyundai Elantra, and in our panel discussion with Brian Smith, we take a light-hearted look at stories, including new details revealed about self-driving racing cars for a robo-race series have a question or a comment, send it to overdrive at drivenmedia.com.au. You can hear longer versions of the interview, road tests and quirky news by going to drivenmedia.com.au or podcast the whole program from iTunes or your favourite podcast service. Now to start the program, let's have the news.
1: Queensland is developing a super highway for electric cars with the unveiling of a super fast electric charging station in Noosa. The superfast electric chargers can fully charge an electric car in 20 to 30 minutes with enough power to drive 250 kilometers. Previously, chargers have taken four to six hours to fully charge a car. The Noosa Fast Charger is the first step in a south-east Queensland grid of super-fast car chargers to be put in place within three to five years. Super-fast chargers have been in Europe for three years or so, where electric vehicles in some countries make up to 20-25% to 25% of private cars. In Queensland, there are approximately 14,500 electric petrol hybrid vehicles registered and 180 fully electric cars. In total, that's just 0.3% of all vehicles. The great
0: rush for countries to become the centre of autonomous car development continues at a pace. Five German towns, Hamburg, Munich, Ingolstadt... Dusseldorf, Dresden and Braunschweig are to become testing grounds for self-driving cars. The German government is providing $116 million in funds towards a research project by 2020. While in France, the government has given the go-ahead for autonomous vehicle testing on public roads as part of its New Industry France plan to rejuvenate industry in the country. It sees autonomous vehicles as the future of the motor industry, saying that they are an indispensable step towards making mobility, regulation and security of traffic and transport more efficient and more environmentally friendly. And not to be outdone, Singapore has launched the Centre of Excellence for Testing and Research of Autonomous Vehicles, including a test circuit at the city's
1: Clean Tech Park. In the US, Ford has announced that self-driving cars that have no steering wheels, brake or gas pedals will be mass-produced within five years. These cars will be very different from the current models of self-driving cars that Ford and other companies are now testing. Those vehicles still have space for drivers who are expected to take control of the cars in case problems arise. Ford says its goal is to have true self-driving cars in which everyone inside is a true passenger. Other major automakers including General Motors, Volkswagen, BMW and Nissan have set targets to have some form of self-driving cars available within five years but Ford's goal is far more aggressive since it's targeting a car that people will have no role in driving. Ford said it anticipates the self-driving cars will initially be used for ride-sharing or ride-hailing services. And it said the push to develop self-driving cars is the most important issue not just for the company, but for the country as a whole. If autonomous cars will
0: revolutionise the way we travel, even in the development phase, they are having a huge impact on the parts supplier industry. Suppliers need to know how to help cars see their environment, much as a human pilot would, which means sensors, cameras and radar, plus the computing power to comprehend the waves of data and share some of it, like traffic conditions, from vehicle to vehicle. The total value of automotive supplier deals in 2015 and 2016 was nearly $100 billion, according to data compiled by Bloomberg, with each of those years far exceeding the $23 billion annual average in the previous 10 years. Up next could be deals in infotainment, which would give parts makers access to the all-important interface between drivers and the vehicle.
1: The later study from J.D. Power shows that new car buyers are becoming very specific about the new technologies they do and do not like in their cars. The study finds that new vehicles equipped with safety features such as blind spot monitoring and low speed collision avoidance have overall scores substantially higher than similar vehicles without the technologies. Factory installed navigation systems, however, remain a challenge for vehicle owners. Two of the lowest rated vehicle attributes are related to the navigation system, usefulness of the navigation features, and ease of using the vehicle's navigation system. Fuel economy posted the largest gain, but engine transmission is the only category to decline, with the most significant factor being the decline in transmission smoothness when shifting gears. Transport for London is pushing
0: ahead with controversial reforms to taxi licences. From the 1st of October... All new applicants and drivers renewing their licence who are not from a major English-speaking country are required to pass a $340 written English test and a spoken one. The move is being fiercely opposed by private hire firm Uber, who have said that they would support a spoken test but not a written one. Transport for London stated it was necessary for drivers to be able to communicate in English, particularly to discuss a fare route, but also brief a passenger on a public safety issue
1: like the use of a seatbelt or what happens in an emergency. The iconic London bus is now helping to improve traffic in Britain's capital, as Transport for London starts a trial of displaying live traffic information on the back of buses. The buses have been fitted with electronic boards which use GPS technology to give accurate real-time traffic information. The information is taken from the Variable Message Sign Network, which is fed by the government's 24-hour traffic control centre. This follows the successful trial of live traffic information displayed on taxi advertising boards, which prove the concept of real-time traffic information delivered in this form. And that has been the news. Electric vehicles
0: could well be one of the more important developments we take to reduce the impact of pollution on our cities and on the planet. Overdrive has just been to the Hunter Valley Electric Vehicle Festival, EV Fest, which showcases recent developments and encourages innovative ways to support improvements in electric-powered vehicles. And it encourages the young and the old to have fun while doing it. The Electric Vehicle Festival is supported by a range of hunter organisations and businesses and is led by the Tom Farrell Institute for the Environment at the University of Newcastle. Now, Gary Ellum is the Program Manager for Future Industries at the Tom Farrell Institute and founder of Social Business. Proprietary Limited, and who, among other things, was the commentate- commentator on the two day festival. He joins us on the line. Uh, Gary, uh, thanks very much for your time.
2: Uh, thank you, David.
0: Now, you had a lot of support from car companies, for example, I believe. Some of the vehicles that people actually got to saw and some even rode in. That uh, represent the new sort of technology
2: yeah, so we've we sort of pride ourselves as being one of the most comprehensive uh, electric vehicle festivals in Australia, which means technically we sort of support anything from really a, a skateboard all the way up until in, in previous um, ones we've even had trains and, and boats but uh, but the cars are always a bit of the main today, and that's what the, um, what the most punters are actually looking at when they think of electric vehicles, they think of cars they don 't necessarily think of bicycles and skateboards. Uh, so it's always important to have a range of cars available. And we had a really good range of um, so also showing the different types of electric vehicle drivetrains. So be anywhere from uh, battery electric cars to uh, hybrid cars to plug-in hybrid cars and even uh, fuel cell electric vehicles. So you had the full range of electric vehicles there.
0: Hyundai had their hydrogen vehicle, which, of course, then powers an electric motor. Hybrids from Toyota and Infiniti, and uh, I think uh, Peugeot even had a little bike there as well. And, and some other people brought along, some private people brought along things like the Tesla, which I think is great, and things like the Mitsubishi MiEV and the Nissan Leaf, which I think is rather good. You did have uh, quite a number of bikes there, bike shops were well represented. I spoke to a few. They're very, very good. I thought some balanced views. Bikes are a very strong part of the electric-driven vehicle of the future.
2: Yeah, certainly. I mean, I, I was, when, when people actually ask me, uh, you know, what's the electric vehicle I should buy at the moment, I should tell them an electric bicycle because I think it, uh, it ticks a lot of boxes. Um, the bikes are great. So an electric bike is really an electric assist bicycle. So there are limits on the size and power of the uh, the electric drivetrain. And if it's small enough, people think of it as a bicycle, and by law, it's considered as a bicycle. So you don't need a, a license to ride it. Um, you don't need to register it to go on the road. And so that means that, you know, just for normal people who want to ride their bicycle around more for sort of transport rather than necessarily for exercise, then uh, electric bikes are, are a great way of being able to get down the shops and back or, or down a local playing field without actually having to necessarily break a sweat.
0: Now, some of the things you did there were some rather interesting competitions. It wasn't just static displays. You were at a go-kart track. What sort of things did you hold to actually test these type of vehicles?
2: Yeah, so the festival has three components every year. So there's an EV show where we have uh, vehicles on show to the public where people can come and try things and experience electric vehicles. Uh, and then we have an EV prize competition. And that's really around uh, skill development, getting... Um, getting kids involved in thinking about electric vehicle futures, thinking about the skills they need to you know, move into sort of like a design or manufacturing or sales sort of industry around electric vehicles. And so we have a competition for schools, which is actually based on building what's well, really a small electric motorcycle. And then they come and race. And that's why we have it out of the, the kart racing circuit is so they can actually do an endurance race and a, a faster flat prize. And then this year for the first time, we also had um, a solar cup. So that was uh, for primary school students. Sort of mini EV prize and so they had to build a very small scale solar powered vehicle which uh, ran around a track. Uh, so it's a way of, of making sure that we get, get science, engineering, technology, maths and sort of some business acumen into, uh, into the curriculum from all the way from primary school through to high school.
0: And that's Gary Ellum, who is the Program Manager for Future Industries at the Tom Farrell Institute, and he's also founder of Social Business Proprietary Limited, and he was, of course, the commentator at the two-day electric vehicle festival in the Hunter Valley at uh, Newcastle, and uh, part and parcel of encouraging everyone to have fun and to learn a lot about how electric vehicles may help in every part of our lives. This is Overdrive across Australia. The small car class in the Australian market, which is not actually small cars, a more small medium might be a better description. Nonetheless, it is the biggest selling category in our market, but it's in some difficulties with particularly SUV sales uh, tugging at it. In fact, the overall small car market is down. So far this year, the biggest seller is the Hyundai i30, followed by the Toyota Corolla and then the Mazda 3. Actually, Hyundai would be even more in front, except it separately classifies its hatch as the i30, but its sedan, the Elantra, as another vehicle altogether. The i30 hatch actually outsells its Elantra brother by over 12 to 1. The Elantra starts at $21,500 plus on roads, which is about $500 more than the lowest priced hatch, i30 hatch, but it has a bigger engine. Now, Brent Davison and I have been driving the car, and he joins me on the line to talk about it. Uh, Brent, this part of the market, it is big, but it is suffering in the sales.
3: Yeah, David, um, it it is a little bit... Well, I was going to say, it is a little bit... It is, but it is a little bit confusing too, because, as you say, the hatchback variants are, are bubbling along fairly nicely, but, when it comes to the sedans, it all seems to get too hard and and people tend to move away from that and, and Yet we are being offered some some very good little choices here, or uh, well, some not so little. It gets confusing in the fact that Hyundai has a name for one and a different name from the other. For for the other, just just confuses it more.
0: Yeah, and Corolla has both all under the one heading, and so it sells. But for example, the Hyundai Lantra sells about so far this year about three thousand cars. That's up to July. The i30 is twenty five thousand cars, yep. so it's much bigger.
3: We've seen Hyundai do a bit of price farming on uh, on on i30 to make it basically Australia's most popular small car or Australia's most popular car there for a while. And uh, they didn't apply that to the Elantra. So obviously they're happy with the way Elantra is going. And the other thing I think too is that I-30 or, or small hatchbacks in general have a, a far greater versatility factor than the sedans. Even though the sedans like the Elantra have a folding back seat and they can fit, copious amounts of stuff in them, you know, and and they're nice to drive and all that sort of thing. So I think uh, what we're looking at is is a market sector that appeals to a younger buyer and a younger buyer wants versatility.
0: Yeah, it's not as if that they're ugly or that. I mean, the Elantra has a sloping fastback sort of look, a lovely low bonnet. When they drove one up and I was about to test it, I I looked at that and thought, yeah, that is really quite an elegant car. Now, you're quite right, it's possibly a little bit longer in the tail than a hatchback, so there's some room there, but not the sort of station wagon hatchback room that you would normally get. So all in all, it's not as if it's, one of those ugly old boxy cars that we used to associate with sedans in the past.
3: Exactly. It's a, it, it is a stylish thing. It, it, it grabs uh, and uses Hyundai's latest um, styling language, what they call it? Fluidic Sculpture 2 or something. Whatever name you want to give it, it is a, it is a nice flowing design. And look, the thing that grabbed me with the Elantra is that we call it a small car, but it ain't. I mean, small cars stopped being small cars quite a while ago. This thing's nearly 4.6 metres long. It's a, a, a big small car. Um, we're talking about a car that has a boot of about 460 litres. I mean, it, it has a boot to match a Holden Commodore. Yeah. We don't have small cars anymore, not unless you go into the micro or the, the, the light class. Then you, then you start to find small cars. It's all a bit crazy.
0: Brent always... Lovely to talk to you. I appreciate it greatly. Thanks very much for your time.
3: David, always my pleasure.
0: You're listening to Overdrive. And finally for the program, let's talk of some unusual stories. And on the line I have Brian Smith. Go, okay, Brian. Hello, David. Now, details of a self-driving racing car, robo race. It has been suggested that it could be done. It could be a showpiece for the latest self-driving technologies. Brian, what would we lose if we lose the driver out of the car? Yes. Apart from the fact that you've got human error, which adds to the excitement.
4: Well, human error is everything, and and, and character, and you, you you won't have those amazing larger-than-life characters that we have in um, in motor racing, of course, you know you had Peter Brock, who was very much like a machine himself as a driver, compared with some of the other drivers of his era, who were much more sort of character driven. I suppose they were the mm. the kind of uh, he was um, Hal Nine Thousand, and maybe some of the other drivers were uh, more like those uh, the guys stuck inside the spaceship with Hal. So we miss out on that that sort of uh not just the mistakes that humans make and the decisions that are kind of flawed and and kind of uh weird decisions that people make that lead to excitement in races i guess if formula one hasn't been very exciting for a long time though has it david so so i mean the the fact that you've got teams you know very strictly controlled drives and uh vehicles has made formula one a bit boring i wonder if. Uh, the the potential variability in programming for these vehicles might make it interesting.
0: Well, that raises the point we've discussed in the past about whether you're a good programmer or not is how you may judge a car in the future. Nothing at all to do with the sense of the, you know, the driving through your seat of your pants or any of that. It will be judged on measures. But but I think you're right. We do lose that sort of personality, including things like the NASCAR punch-ups. (laughs) where would you be without those you know the raising the arm in displeasure if it was a mechanical arm it it would lose some of the intensity wouldn't it
4: the car's not going to throw its helmet to the ground and storm off
0: (laughs) as the other car goes past the one-fingered salute who who is going to spray champagne
4: well yeah that's a good question um yeah how will who's the winner of the race? Is it the the AI? Is it the laptop? Someone brings a laptop up to the podium? Or, or the car itself? A,
0: a, a nerd. A nerdy guy brings a laptop. A
4: nerd. Actually, here's where I think there's a strong argument for instead of just autonomous cars, but transformers, like the children's toy, oh, yes. so that after the race finishes, it transforms <laughs> into some kind of bipedal robot that could come up onto the podium and spray the champagne.
0: And it's then got to go out and date a supermodel.
4: <laughs> yes, someone from the production line of a car manufacturer robot. Yes, another robot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, another robot. They could be throwing throwing hats out into the crowd, or chips, or something like that. Peter <laughs> chips.
0: <laughs> yeah, a memory stick.
4: <laughs> <laughs> That's right. USB sticks <laughs> into the crowd. <laughs>
0: where are you going to be with the radio messages when the car's not performing well and you get a highly paid arrogant driver going back to the you know radioing back to the pits saying this car is a, a heap of crap you know it just it just doesn't do to it the only thing that it could improve of course is the after race interviews oh yeah because yeah. most drivers it's just boring sort of stuff now Computers could generate what random word generations, you know, to do it, but perhaps they could even be more creative. Certainly it wouldn't have been hard than the typical interview after a race.
4: It could be very cool if they programmed them with NRL player personalities. <laughs> you could then have them sort of... In nightclubs or drive-throughs, they could be then at the interviews and, you know, talking about having let not just themselves down but but uh, the entire mainframe (laughs) being role models, rolling models.
0: Of course, uh, you'd have to have good-looking computers as well. That would get you a run more than the other. But we don't have the computer equivalent of the first woman or the first Afro-American or the first Pakistani to win a Grand Prix.
4: Yes, yeah, we're just stuck with a particular type of car. Maybe it's it's sort of Intel versus Microsoft and that sort of <sighs> stuff.
0: The first Tudelard Packard to win a Grand Prix will be such a shock, it'll make front-page news.
4: This would be very interesting in Playgrounds, of course, where you move from Ford Holden into sort of Intel versus NVIDIA or you know, that sort of stuff. Go Dell. <laughs> Punch-ups in the playground. <laughs> but interestingly, David, you, you talked about appearance and... Um, Looking at the picture of one of the robot cars, it's still very car-like, right? It's very recognisable as a as a car that a person could sit in, but there's nowhere for the person to sit, right? It's it's still, you know, very much shaped like a passenger carrying vehicle, and and this is the thing I've always been disappointed with so far in um, the rise of autonomous vehicles, is that um, yeah you know, they they're, they're not sort of challenging the whole design. Obviously, you know, some autonomous vehicles are going to have to carry people and goods and, and, you know, you would expect a design that facilitates that. But if you're just racing them, David, haven't you got the freedom to sort of, I don't know, in the way that the America's Cup, you know, suddenly New Zealand produces a a catamaran instead of a monohull boat. Why couldn't you now introduce tricycles and, and, you know, multiple-wheeled vehicles uh, as well as just these conventional-looking cars?
0: I always thought that if we went to hydrogen power or electric power, we might well be able to do away with a three-box design of cars Mm. where Mm. you have the engine, the the main part of the body and the boot, uh, simplistically speaking. But you're right, we haven't. We haven't made a a quantum leap with the new technology. And, And here's an example of, of course, you don't need room for their legs or their body uh, mm. But the, the interesting thing, safety now, and the computers may insist on this, is to protect the CPU. Oh yeah,
4: yeah, and and I guess you need a wheelbase and you need a a track to make it stable at the sort of speeds you're driving at. But but for example, here in this case, you the picture of the car, and, and I hope people will look at the robo race cars on the internet. But Um, The whole car itself is sort of aerodynamic and working with downforce in the shape of the body. So that's Mm. interesting. But, David, we talk about the future. Ford announced that they expect an autonomous vehicle on the road in five years' time. So it's just around the corner.
0: I think particularly in the racetrack situation, I think that's probably much easier, Mm. that you can define the limits. There's no cross-traffic, there's no pedestrians, unless they're an angry driver, which, of course, we've done away without those, throwing their helmet, as you suggested. It's all in one direction, maybe an overtaking move, and that may be probability. It might pay a bit into that, but you're right. I think it probably could use autonomous racing quite readily now. In terms of Ford in year 2000, I have a sneaky suspicion that we're 98% there, but the last 2% is going to be very, very hard. One of them might be that you might only be able to use it in certain circumstances. Do you realise two-thirds of the roads in Australia are gravel or dirt?
4: (laughs) That'll be
3: interesting, yes.
0: I heard the Minister, the Federal Minister, talking about that the other day. So there's two-thirds of the roads that you probably won't be able to take an autonomous car down, but equally those are the roads you're not likely to do anyway. Brian, if I'm uh, a parent, is there a car that might be for me to take the kids to school?
4: Well, look, if you're a parent who likes a bit of performance, I think there is. So uh, there's a company called Busy Moto, which is owned by a fellow called uh, Busy Azaroa. He likes to kind of do interesting things with, with kind of unusual cars. So his thing is about um, a massive power, and uh, he's, uh, he's built a 708-horsepower Hyundai Sonata, Previously, he's built, built a 600 horsepower Elantra, and he's got his hands on a, a, a Honda Odyssey, and he's uh, boosted that up to a thousand horsepower. Now that's about four or five times the the horsepower of the uh, the standard Honda Odyssey People Mover. Now it's going to be auctioned later this month. And you can, if you do a bit of a search on the, the YouTubes, you can probably watch Matt Farrar drive it uh, back-to-back with a Porsche 911 Turbo. And it's a front-wheel drive uh, sort of passenger van, basically, a Honda Odyssey, but with a uh, 1,000 horsepower and six-speed manual transmission. So this one's not so much dropping the kids at school as uh, as perhaps uh, you know, robbing them, stealing them from school. and. And uh, making it get
0: away. It's not the first people mover to do it. In 1995, Renault uh, had a, a space people mover, which they put a Formula One engine mid-engined into it. Now, the interesting thing about that, the Formula One engine at the time had only 800 horsepower, and so here's someone with a yeah. with more horsepower. It, it and a shows Formula you one car. Brian, lovely to talk to you. Thanks very much for your time. Thank you, David. That's Brian Smith, and we were talking some unusual stories to do with motoring and transport. And this has been Overdrive. My thanks to Errol Smith, David Campbell, Brian Smith, Brent Davidson and Paul Just for their great help during the program. Overdrive can be heard across Australia on the Community Radio Network. You can listen to longer segments of the interviews on our website at drivenmedia.com.au or podcast the whole program on iTunes or your favourite podcast service. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening.